Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. So here's a weird truth. There's a part of me that really loves 2020. That's a little uncomfortable to say out loud, and it's a little weird, and I get that, because 2020 was nobody's plan, right? There's a lot of churches that probably at the beginning of the year, they did a sermon series called 2020 Vision, and they had this plan of what this was going to look like this year. There's a lot of businesses that had graphs, and they put things out on charts, and they're like, 2020, we're going to, you know, sales are going to be like this, and all these graphs were sort of going up into the right, and it looked great. There's a lot of, a lot of schools that were like, enrollment this year is going to be higher than it's ever been, and they had all these ideas, and none of that worked out. And, you know, um, here we are. Here we are. 2020 has not been uh, people's plan. There have certainly been uh, a lot of horrible things. There's been um, a, lot of, a lot of death from a, from a, a virus that we, we don't quite understand. There's been a, a downturn in the economy here and in the economies around the world to go along with that death. Uh, and and uh, there's been a higher rate of unemployment as people looking for work and a lot of the uncertainty that comes along with that. There's been a lot of political divisiveness that's been going on and it continues to go on and will continue on through this year and probably in years to come. There's a lot of division where people look at, the, they say, oh, I'm the good people, they're the bad people, and there's this dividing line between us. And so there's been a lot of that kind of thing going on. Uh, there's been the race conversation that's come up a lot this year and a lot of friction and tension around uh, race and a lot of you know privilege and, and let's have these conversations and trying to get people together to to talk about the stuff and systemic problems and all of that, and there's been, uh, there's been some protests, and there's also been some riots, and there's just been a lot of stuff in the year 2020, and I get it. So 2020, in many ways, has been sucktastic, but here's where I'm hopeful. Here's where I'm hopeful about all of this. Maybe this is the year we wake up. Maybe this is the year we realize that the emperor has no clothes. Maybe this is the year that some of the illusions are shattered. Our illusion of safety, our illusion of control, our illusion of certainty. Maybe, maybe this is the year we start seeing the system for what it is and realizing that Western culture and society, for as many great things that it has brought, there is, a, there is an emptiness at the heart of it. That, that it doesn't solve all the things, it doesn't give us all the answers that we wish it would. And maybe out of the mess, the, the cratering of 2020, maybe something beautiful will come out of that. Maybe out of the ashes, something will rise in a very beautiful way out of, out of what we've experienced this year. That's, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think 2020 has exposed some things in us, in the human heart, uh, the, the ways that we're judgmental, the ways that we can be racist, the ways that we can be pretty evil, the ways that we can wish ill will upon people because we disagree with them, the ways we look at our neighbors with suspicion, our desire for control, like we've seen these things in us and shown through us in, in 2020. I think what we have seen is a lot of evil in the world this year. Now, evil, when you say evil in the world, that sounds intense. 
But I think there's some things you come across and there's maybe just not a better word for it. And there's different kinds of evil that you see. I, I think there are things like what I might call like national evil. So there's things happening on a large scale that nations and entire countries do that are pretty evil. Right now, as we sit here, there are over 85 concentration camps that have been built in northwest China to, for the Uyghur people, who are um, an ethnic minority Muslim group that live in northwest China, and, and there's been over a million people who are from that Uyghur group, and they have been placed in these concentration camps with fences and barbed wire and guards and all of that, and they've been placed there in order to re-educate them, to get them away from their from their Muslim views and to get them more in line with sort of mainstream communist views and Chinese views. Um, that's going on today. This is in 1944 in Poland. This is happening right now. And if you ever wondered what you would have done if you lived in the 40s and when, when there were concentration camps happening around in another part of the world, if you ever wondered how you would behave then, it's how you're behaving now, right? It's, oh, that's really far away. Wait, I think I heard about that. That's a thing. That's going on now that as a, as a nation that we can round people up and, and re-educate them and, and, and there's some stories of brutal treatment going on there. Uh, so that, that's sort of a, a national evil. And then there are um, sort of movements that happen within nations that are, that are maybe systemic. They're maybe not the national conversation, but they are a subset. And so you see right now with Antifa and alt-right groups and all the things, all the warring factions that are happening on the streets in Portland and Seattle and other places, uh, there, there are people rising up. They're taking maybe pride in their ethnic heritage or maybe pride in their country, and they're making idolatrous worship out of these things, and, and it becomes a uh, extreme nationalism or racism and some of that kind of stuff. And then there's, there's some warring in the streets that have gone on around those things. And, and you can't just go, oh, that's a few bad apples. There's a couple people that, there's something in it that's pretty dark. And it's not the whole nation, but there's a whole stream, a whole segment of society where you go, man, there, there's evil there. There's a systemic evil going on here. And, it, and, it's, and it's bad. And, and, and you've seen it and, and I've seen it. But I actually think evil is not just national or, or systemic. It's also a lot more personal. It's, it's in our own families, right? There's some dark stuff there. My father was an atheist, and uh, his father before him was a preacher. And I didn't know this. I, I didn't know that until 2010. So I was well into being a pastor before I realized that it's actually the family business if you go back far enough. My grandfather is in this picture on the right there. We we highlighted him so you could see him. But in this lovely picture of Sunday school folk from 1920 or whatever this is, um, my grandfather was there and he was a preacher in England and he planted some churches. He planted one in a movie theater uh, in the 1920s in London. And I actually went and visited a couple years ago. It's now a Lidl grocery store. Sad. That's what happens over time. Uh, he planted a church there and... Uh, he was in ministry for years. He was pretty well known in the British Isles. He had a great sense of humor. People loved his sermons, that kind of thing. And then he fell from ministry. He was removed for a moral failure, which as near as I can piece together is when my grandfather was 40 years old, he decided to date a girl in the youth group, and they got married, and she was 18. That's my grandmother. Um, that's not a good look in, in ministry even back then. Uh, and so he was removed from ministry and, and out, of the, out of the preaching, preaching world. Um, and, and, and that's in my family. So I look back and I go, man, there's some rough stuff. And my dad was 
basically an alcoholic, and so there's some rough stuff in my family there. And I bet if you look in your family tree, you will see darkness, you will see evil, you will see, oh, this is when this person abused this person, and this is when this horrible thing, and this person drank too much, and this person was horrible to their family, and this person was abusive, and these people gossip about these people, and that's why we're not going to get together at Christmas anymore. And here's people in our family that won't talk to each other, and we're not going to see them again until the funeral one day. Like, you have evil, not just out there as a nation, not just systemically and something's going on in society, but you have it in your own family tree and you know it, right? It, everybody, we could lay out your family tree and you, and you could show this is where there's some dark stuff in my family. So it's a little more uh, personal than that. Um, but, but, it's, it, but, but there's other stuff in, in culture. I, I, in 1999, I lived in... Um, I lived an hour away from Columbine High School. And maybe you remember kind of the famous photo, uh, the camera footage, uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, uh, a couple hours one morning, shot up their high school and and killed a whole bunch of people. And um, it was shocking and horrifying when that happened. And then it happened over and over again over the next couple decades. And um, when you see something like that, you, you recognize it and you sort of go, there's something really dark and twisted here in, in a person, in, in that person there. It's in society, it's, uh, it's in you know, the race wars, it's in, it's in when someone's shooting up a school, it's in your own family. Um, and, I, and I think, and this is a little bit uncomfortable, but if you look even closer to home and you look in the mirror, you'll recognize that there's some dark stuff in you too. There's dark stuff in your heart, there's dark stuff in my heart, It's there. Maybe you've never murdered anybody, but you've hated someone in your heart and you've wished they were dead. Maybe you've never cheated on someone, but you've fantasized about it and planned it. Maybe you've never embezzled from your company, but you've stolen their time by doing other things than work while you're at work. Maybe you've never stabbed someone literally in the back, but you've torn them down and gossiped behind their back before. There's there's darkness, and it's not just out there. It's it's actually in here. in, in the early 1900s, the, the Times of London sent a, a request out to several prominent writers of the day, and, and they basically said to these writers, what is wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorites, he wrote back this, a very short letter to the Times. It said, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with the world? I am. You are. We're the problem. The, 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 pro, the stuff is not out there, it's actually in here. This is why Alexander Solzhenitsyn says it this way. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained, and even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. What is he saying? The evil's not out there. It actually goes right through the human heart. This idea that there are good people and bad people, it's not correct. It's not the way the world is. It's not, we can't just divide everybody, the good side and the bad side. That's not the way it works. The line of good and evil runs right through the human heart. Now, that's a really sort of sad and depressing opener to a, a series uh, to, to start us off. We're, we're doing a series to the, that starts today called Keep It 100, and uh, that phrase, keeping it 100, is, is sort of a slang term for like keeping it real or being real, being authentic, being honest, don't, you know, not being fake. And we want to talk about what does it look like in the next 
five or six weeks to talk about what does it look like to be honest, to be real with each other and with God. Let's have an honest conversation. Let's, let's talk about what does the real relationship with the real God look like? Because I think people who don't even know God or maybe they say, oh, I'm not sure if I want to know God, there's still usually an openness there to the real spiritual experience. Like, if there's a God, I'd like to have a relationship with the real God, not some fake, religious, plastic, uh, cheap version of God, but I want to know the real thing. And so what I want to talk about is how can we be in relationship with the real God, and what does that look like? And, 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 and I think we're going to get a lot out of that. Um, I think if you look at a real relationship with God, you'll see it's similar to real relationships we have with each other. When we're vulnerable and honest, it gets better in our relationships with each other and with God. We can talk to God the way we would talk to other people. Um, we, can, we can experience some things of God in, the way, in a way that we would experience with other people. But there also are some differences. Sometimes when I talk to God, he doesn't answer. I can't hug him. I can't hold on to him. I lack the physical touch there. So that's, that's different than our relationships. Also, God's like holy and perfect, and that kind of intimidates me. Like, uh, it's very different than who I am. And so there are some similarities with other relationships that we can have with God, and there are some definite differences, and, and, and I want to talk about that. But I think in order to come to God honestly, we have to start in this place. We have to be honest about who we are about the reality of our own hearts. Let's start there. And really, I wish all relationships were this way, don't you? Like, couldn't you, couldn't you go on a first date? Maybe this isn't good first date material. But wouldn't it be decent on a first date to be like, hey, I'm this and this, and also, and here's all my flaws, and I'm really, I'm really annoying, and I get like this, and I'm obsessive, and I get like, just sort of put it all out on the table. Save us all some time. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be, I mean, you're probably not getting a lot of second dates that way, but... But let's be honest about who we are because the real you to be in a relationship with the real them, all this comes out eventually. And so let's do this up front. Let's be honest about who we are today if we're going to be in an actual relationship with God. So, so let's talk about it. Have you guys heard of root cause analysis? They do this in the business world, root, root cause analysis. Sometimes they'll, they'll phrase it like this, like you ask the, the question why five times. So if something's going wrong, you ask five whys about it to get to the root cause of the problem. So if you said, hey, our sales are down. Well, why? Well, because our salespeople are not closing as many deals. Well, why? Because the, uh, the market has turned away from our product. Well, why? Because there's another product that has come up that actually has some advantages over our product. Well, why is that? Well, because our product was only good for a while and then our competitors were like, you start looking at what's going on and, and trying to figure out when you drill down far enough, what's the root of the thing? And then how do we solve the actual root? Because we can't just keep hacking at the branches. We got to get to the root, right? Let's talk root cause analysis of all the hot mess of 2020 and the things that you see played out in media and the frustration and the anger and the violence and all this stuff. What is the root cause? When you get down, then let me just save you the time. When we drill down enough of the whys for the followers of Jesus, the answer is sin. That's the root cause of the mess that we're in. It's, it's sin in the human heart. This is a different answer than maybe some people in culture will give. Some people will say the problem is lack of education. If we just educated people more, we'd have better 
outcomes. Not true. Some people say it's just ignorance. Lack of ignorance, we'd have better outcomes. That's not necessarily true. You drill down to the thing and go, what is really going on? Christians would say it's sin. Sin is at the root. Now, this, this finds its roots in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, it is recorded about the first man and woman that God breathed his spirit into, Adam and Eve, and they are there in this place that is paradise, and things are very good. Uh, the weather is great. Their relationship is great. They are with God. It is beautiful. They have good harmony with man and nature and the waterfalls and the plants and the trees, and it's all wonderful for a little bit. And then it goes off the rails in Genesis chapter 3. And sin is introduced into the world. And I want to read it to you. Genesis 3, starting with verse 1. You may have heard this before. Uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They were naked and unashamed and then the serpent comes along and deceives them and they take this fruit that they're not supposed to, the one tree they were told not to eat. Um, That's the one they eat from. And And it's interesting to read there how it goes about. Um, how, how, did, how did Eve succumb to this temptation? What was Adam's role in, in all of that? Because um, it sounds like she just kind of sold it all for some food. And I'm like, I like food too, but how is food that good? Like, but it, it's more than just that. It's, it's a desire piece. And Satan comes along and distorts the situation. Hey, did God say you can't eat of anything? No, no, we can eat of any tree, just not this one because it's not good for us, we're going to die. Uh, and, then, and then Satan says, oh, basically Satan comes back at her and says, oh, come on, like did God really, that's not really how it works. You're going you're gonna to actually be wise. God knows that. He just doesn't want that for you. God's keeping something from you. And she's like, oh, maybe you're right. That, yeah, maybe, I, why is God keeping something? He puts this little thing, which is what Satan does to us even to this day. He puts this little doubt in your mind that God is good and that his plan is good. Come on, did God really say that about you? Did God really say you're his child? Did God really say you're you're beloved? Does God really think of you as like a child of the king, that kind of idea? That's silly. Does God really say you shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage? He's just trying to ruin your fun. Does God really say that you should give money away generously? That's silly. You should save it or spend it all on yourself. Like, this is what Satan does, takes, takes something and distorts it a little bit and gets you to doubt and gets you to question. And this is what he does to Eve. Did God really say? And Eve goes, Eve goes yeah, I guess, you know, I guess not. And, and she notices that the fruit looks pretty good and that it's good for food and it's going to be pleasurable to eat and it's going to make her wise. And she, she takes it and she sins. Now, I've thought about, and, and even the way the Scripture talks about it in other passages in the Bible, who sinned first? Like, what is, the, what is the sin here, if you could name the sin? Because it sounds like it's the sin of, like, desire or something like that. And so she desires something she shouldn't have. And that's maybe part of it. But 
I've also looked at Adam, who the text makes a point of saying he's standing right there when this happens. And Adam has a responsibility to protect his home, and he doesn't. You must protect this house, and he does not. He does not take care of his wife. He does not see the danger from the serpent. He does nothing. He's very passive. He stands there. So I think there's a sinful part on his side as well. But if you go underneath those sins and say, what is the issue, the, the root issue for both of them that shows up here at the very beginning I think we could say that the original sin here is pride. It's pride. It's the idea that I know better, that, and, and that I want to be in charge, and that the pride that, that creeps up in Eve, she says, I deserve this. Um, I'm better than that. I'm awesome. Like Satan kind of plays on that with her. Oh, okay. like, hey, Eve comes along and is basically like, hey, I want, I want knowledge. I want to be like God. Now, if you think pride as I want to be like God, if that sounds like a, a bit of an overreach to you, I don't think it is. I think at the end of the day, pride is putting yourself in the center of the universe, making it all about you. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm amazing. That's, that's, that's our original sin is, is taking focus off of our creator and making it about us. Blaise Pascal says this, certainly nothing offends us more rudely than this doctrine of original sin. And yet without this mystery, the most incomprehensible of all, we are incomprehensible to ourselves. What's he saying? He's, he's saying if, if you don't get the fact that this is rooted deep in us, you won't understand yourself. You'll always be, uh, you'll always be sort of hacking at the branches and never at the root of evil. Uh, Thoreau said, for every thousand hacking at the branches, there's one who will strike at the root. And that'll be us. If we don't understand that there is sin in us and there's, there's some bad stuff in us, if we don't get that and address it, um, we will always be hacking at the symptoms, hacking at the branches, and not really getting it. The, there's pride in, in us that causes a bunch of other sins. Uh, all, all the other sins, lust, adultery, uh, murder, these things have pride behind them. Pride says, I deserve better than, than, and, and, and therefore I will murder. Pride says, I deserve her, therefore I will go take her even though she doesn't belong to me, or I deserve him, I will take him and he doesn't belong to me. That is, at, it, it may be lust, it may be murder, but it, its root is pride. This is what happened with Adam and Eve's own children. Cain and Abel, they both offer up an offering to God. God liked Abel's offering, did not like Cain's offering. And Cain didn't say, maybe I'll get, get better next time. Cain said, I deserve this from God. I deserve accolades and praise from God. Why didn't he like my offering? And Cain goes and kills his brother. The murder there has as its root the sin of pride. And you see that all over. You see it now. You see it in our culture around all the stuff around masks and, and distancing and, and all that, there's this pride that creeps in with people. There's all sorts of conflicting information. There's all sorts of challenges. It's difficult to know what's right, what to believe, when, how, how to act, how to act in this context, how to act in this context, how to act around all your friends who have sort of a red, yellow, or green about you know, distance and touch. And it's, it's, it's difficult, right? And there's this pride that creeps in for people. I am social distancing more holier than thou. Like, I'm doing this even better. I, I wear a mask when I'm in the wilderness alone, you know? Like, I wear a mask in a car by myself and you don't. Like, and therefore I'm better and you're not as good. Like, there's so many elements of this where, where we get prideful. 
And man, the church has been criticized for millennia for, being, for looking down their noses at people and being judgmental. And if we've learned anything in 2020 is that everybody does this. It's not just the church. Everybody finds the new rules and then I keep them better than you and that kind of thing. Like there's a lot of pride that creeps into all of us and the little Pharisee inside, the little, the little legalistic rule keeper inside of us uh, comes out and you, you see that, that with that's an ungracious spirit. Do you see that pride in our culture? More to the point, do you see it in your own heart? First John chapter two, uh, this, the, the apostle John is, is writing to the church and listen to what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and this is the way he describes the world, the culture, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of, of stuff, uh, a lot of theologians have said those are the original things that Eve was dealing with when she took that fruit. It's the desires, the, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, um, the, the, the desires of, of stuff or, or even of knowledge in Eve's case. The, these things have not changed. This is, this is the way the world is. And, and, and John says if you love that, if you get into that, it's going to go badly for you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go away from God. He warns us, don't fall in love with the world. Now that's hard because there's things about the world that I do love. There's beautiful places on earth that God has created and that man has built up as well. There are some incredible places to, to see and to be a part of. And that's great. And there's things about the culture of our world that I love, the music and the art and the architecture. There's really some great stuff. But there is a worldview that I can't be in love with. There's a way of seeing reality that I just can't fall in love with. There's a, there's a philosophy about what life is and what life is and meaning and things we talked about in the last couple of weeks. And I can't fall in love with the world's view of, of, of that kind of stuff. Um, and I can't, as John warns us, I can't give in to the lusts and the passions and the desires. M maturity, becoming a mature believer, means we restrain those things. We don't give in to those things all, all the time. We restrain them. And so we have to examine ourselves closely. We have to look deeply in, inward and go, who am I really? If I'm going to be in a real relationship, a keeping it 100 relationship with God, who am I? And we got to look in, in, inside. Um, and we have to come to God like that. Like whatever you see in there when you look inside, come to God that way and be honest. I had the great privilege to hear and do a, a day-long spiritual retreat with Brennan Manning. He's a Catholic theologian, um, author, wrote one of the best books about grace I've ever read, the book The Ragamuffin Gospel. And um, I spent a day with him back in about 2003 in a spiritual retreat. And uh, he's very much a New Yorker, and in his accent and his kind of his, apologies if you're from New York, kind of his attitude, you know, like his vibe, you know, whatever. Uh, he's very New Yorker, and, uh, and it's great. And I remember him saying this thing, and he says it a lot. I remember him saying it, and I was like, this is fantastic. I want to remember this for the rest of my life. Um, and I actually found an audio clip of him doing it. So I want to just play it for you and let you hear what he said. If you'd like to benefit most from the worship this morning, I would suggest that from this moment, 
until you put your head in the pillow tonight, you let the focus of your inner life rest on one truth. The staggering, mind-blowing truth that God loves you just as you are and not as you should be because nobody in this building is as they should be. God loves you just as you are and not as you should be because nobody in this building is as they should be. And that's really good news. If there's any good news today, that's good news. But I think we need to be honest and come to God as we are with all the mess. So step number one is this, just confess your sins. Sins are not out there. They're in here. Yeah, they're out there too, but that's not your problem. That's not the thing to focus on. Start here. This is why Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye before you try to take a speck out of someone else's eye. Start here uh, um, and, and know what's going on inside. What did we see in the presidential debate for anybody who bothered? You don't have to shout it out what you saw. It's okay. Um, but here's the thing. I think when you see things like the presidential debate and you see these things kind of happening in culture and people go, oh, this is terrible, and it, is this the best we have, and why, can't, why is it so awful, and it's just shouting and all that, here's the uncomfortable truth, and other people have pointed this out, but I see it too. The uncomfortable truth is what you see there is a reflection of what's here. It's, it's as if someone, the, the debates which you, which you would hope would have more professionalism and decorum and all those kind of things, the debates look like your social media wall, but just out, someone saying it on television. And, it, and it's not just them out there. It is, it is, I've heard people say, it's what we deserve. It is what we got as, as a nation. And I don't love it. And, and as much as I wish, I wish there were just really great high character people of integrity, of eloquence, of all of these things that were running for these positions in government. Um, and as much as I go, I, I wish they were more that way. I have to be honest and go, I wish I was more that way. It's not them. It's, it's in me. I, I fall short in these things also. I'm not always what I wish other people were. And so you start by confessing, saying, this is who I am. This is why when we baptize people here, we just had a baptism last Sunday, and when people are baptized in this church, one of the questions we almost always ask is, you know, basically, what are your sins, or what are you going to repent of, or, or, or think about con confessing your sin or repenting of your sin, because that's part of it, coming to God, that, that entry where you, you're baptized into Christ, part of it is just repenting and saying, these are my sins, this is where I've messed up, you're God, I'm not, and just kind of acknowledging all that, that's why we ask people to do it when, when they're baptized. Um, an, an encounter with God should start there. The, the, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he has this vision of God. He sees God on a throne in heaven, like he, it's this like trance-like thing. He sees God, and he is blown away by what he sees with the angels and the light and the, the whatever, uh, the, all the things you might envision, sort of like the fire and the brilliance and the radiance of God um, there. Isaiah sees that, and Isaiah doesn't go, oh man, this is so cool. Look how great this looks. This is so beautiful. I've never seen anything so beautiful. He doesn't do that. Listen to what Isaiah says when he sees it, verse, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's response to seeing God is, oh no, oh, uh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like He's like, I cuss a little, and now I'm standing before God, 
And everybody around me cusses in my group. We all, we all kind of, like, I don't say the right thing. I, this is what it, we, we all go, oh, I'd love to be in the presence of God. That's what it's like when you're in the presence of God. If you get that vision, that's how you're going to feel too. It's not going to be like, I'm just going to barge right in there and tell God, no, you're not. You're going to be like, oh, no, because you're, you're aware. You're, you're in that moment, you're honest. Whoa, there's a difference between me and God. There's a gap here, and I'm kind of lame, and I kind of say bad things, and I've done a few bad things, and I think maybe he knows, and it's not good. You feel that. So I'm just saying, because that is true, just, just do it anyway. Like, confess it. Be honest. Say, God, this is where I've blown it. God, I have a temper. He knows. Just say it, though. God, I get too angry. God, this is where I lust because the line of good and evil, Lord, it runs through my heart too. Be honest with God about that. Confess your sins. And number two then, ask God to meet you where you are. God will show up, but he doesn't force his way in. He's not gonna dominate your will. He's not gonna come in against your will. He's gonna come in when you open the door. So ask God and say, God, will you please meet me? I, I, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. Will you please meet me? And can we, can we start in relationship? This is how we keep it real with God. This is how we're keeping it 100. This is, this is honest. Hey, I've, I've blown it, and you're a holy God, but, but I want to be in relationship. And you ask him to, to meet you. And this is important to notice, and I would say it's important to notice for the next month and, and, and beyond, because the temptation is there for us to find the problems in other people, to say they're, they're my problem, to say I'm gonna throw rocks at them and look around for a rock to throw. And when we do that, we ignore the problems in our own hearts. And so confess your sins to God. Do it this week. Write it out. I, journaling it can be a good way. R- write some things out. Say, okay, this is where I blew it yesterday. This is what, this is what I got going on right now. Get honest about it. And then ask God to meet you. Now that sounds like bad news. There's good news. There's good news about how God will meet you and, and how he has set that up in history. And we'll get, we'll get into that next week. But I, I wanted us to start by just being honest about, about where we are and get that right starting point. And then we can, we can see what God has for us. And it is good. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for meeting us where we are. That you... Don't tell us that we need to clean up to be who we should be um, to, to start a relationship with us, but that you meet us exactly where we are. You love us as we are, not as we should be. Um, and then you don't leave us there. You sanctify us and change us and start your spirit going to work on us and, and, and working us over from the inside out. I thank you for that, Lord. Um, and, I, and I thank you for this time that we set aside to, to look into this. God, um, in the next week, in the next months, for the rest of this year, um, may we finish out this year strong, and may we be a people who are honest with each other and honest with you and are in a real relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.